from KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Exactly. 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 A conversation series in search of a finer point. Now, here's your host, New York Times bestselling author Kelly Corrigan. Sitting across from Margaret Atwood, I was intimidated. I want to admit that right off the bat. There is a vast difference in our IQs, not to mention our life experience. She grew up eating spam in the woods of Canada. She's written almost 50 books, and I got the sense that she learns about a dozen new things a day. So yeah, I had panic gut going into this conversation, but then, about 60 seconds into it, I totally fell in love. Margaret Atwood is a very literal woman. She's also very funny. And there's almost no topic she doesn't have a point of view about. Marriage, ecology, education, bioethics. So our theme was the future. It's such a great long conversation, complete with a heckler. So I don't want to wait to let you listen. We'll talk after. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the astonishing Margaret Atwood. So I'm just wondering, after all you've seen go down in 75 years, and all these worlds that you've sort of carefully imagined over the course of all these books, if maybe the best thing to do tonight is to talk about the future. And I picked five areas that I'd love to get your point of view on. Um, The first is learning and ways of knowing. Um, You grew up in the wilderness of Canada, which means that you know how to sew, and you know how to clean a shotgun. Can you tell these guys a little bit about your childhood and how you came to learn? Take the bullets out first. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's free. That's a little free advice right there. Yes. I once knew a man man who shot himself in the radiator, and all the water came out. This was actually in France, speaking of France. And and, uh, his his friend, who was French, he was not French, uh, he came over and he said, Oh, it's just terrible. Jean has shot himself in the radiator. <laughs> Water is all coming out. If you do not take the bullet out of the gun, probably you will shoot yourself in the radiator. There you are. Yes, that's it. Uh, so, what was the question? <laughs> Who cares? Oh, yes. Growing up in the woods. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so the thing about Canada is it's very big. In fact, there's a song called Canada's Very Big. And the, there's a line across the top of the United States, and on your map it shows nothing there, which is uh, partly true. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in the part in which there's nothing there. So no town, no village, no city, no little cluster, no little hamlet, no therefore school, library, uh, movie theater, bookshop or grocery store or any of those things. Were you born in a hospital? Yeah, but that was in the winter. Uh huh. So my father was a forest entomologist, which means that he studied insects that eat trees. Hot. And in the winter, <laughs> in the winter, they do not do that. <laughs> so in the winter, we were in cities, but uh-huh. in the spring, summer, and fall, we were up Uh, in the woods because he was studying them. And since he grew up in an even more rural and remote area, he knew how to do all of those things. He was an expert uh, bushman, woodsman, and all of those things, and knew how to build houses. Mm -hmm. So when my brother was born, they were actually living in a tent, and then he built a woodshed and they lived in the woodshed while he built a larger house so that by the time I was born in 1939 there was actually a house mm-hmm. um, in the woods no running Big water upgrade no in the electricity tent. Yeah. M- roomier mm-hmm. yes <laughs> d- definitely roomier and so, what do you learn from a childhood like that like what makes uh, you learn to be very very uh, good at um, recycling things and repurposing them Mm-hmm. Because you can't go to the store to get other ones. 
Mm -hmm. So I also have to add, it was the war, dear. Uh -huh. It's why I'm so short. If it hadn't been the war, <laughs> if it hadn't been the war, I would have been tall like you. Um, I'm not really that tall. <laughs> so that was rationing and all of those things. But luckily, we were living in the woods, so we could eat fish, and we had a little vegetable garden, and we ate a lot of spam. Oh, spam is dear. quite good. Spam is good Who in the woods. Who in this room has eaten spam? Yeah. Wow. See, it's not so bad. Uh, but it's better in the woods. <laughs> Definitely. I think that was a Beatles song. Spam is better in the woods. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that kind of thing. And we also had something. This is, I mean, do you want to hear about the olden days? Are you that keen on it? I want to look towards the future. So if you're yeah. ready to turn. I'll, I'll do this very quickly. We yeah. had something called Klim. Do you know what Klim was? No. Klim. Anyone? Klim? Bonus points in the back for Klim. Klim. Yes, milk spelt backwards. Hooray. Yes, but not the skim milk. It was the whole milk, so it was sort of pale yellow. Oh, how awful. No, was it, it was disgusting? quite no, it was yummy. Really? Well, it was the war deer. Yeah. So, that's, what, that's what I was trying to get at. Was everything like, was yummy in the war. Right, right. You had food, it was yummy. Come right. on. <laughs> what okay, kind of brat off to would the future. Yeah, so yummy. therefore, um, you learned how to um, do lots of things that people today probably don't know how to do, such as fix your outdoor motor, mm -hmm. outboard motor, and things like that. And so, if you look forward 100 years, what do you see? Well, I am looking forward 100 years. I know you are. Yes. Tell um, these guys what we're sort of not what, talking what about. This is what I'm doing. There is a project invented by a very smart young lady called Katie Patterson, a Scot, a Scottish conceptual artist, and working with the library in Norway. And the project is called futurelibrary.no. And the NO stands not for no, it stands for Norway. Right. So if you go online, futurelibrary.no, you can get the, you, you can even get a video of me and Katie Patterson in a Danish wood Interesting. Talking about this. Drinking so the, the Klim. No, you're not drinking any Klim. Yeah. Klim is gone. Oh. <laughs> There's no more Klim. It was the war. Dear. It was the war. Yes, it's gone, it's gone now. Um, so it's almond milk. It's become almond milk now. <laughs> different thing altogether. Yeah. Very different. Um, Very literal. Yep, I, I've had that too. Yeah. My daughter's vegetarian. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a very famous vegetarian among <laughs> us, Margaret. <laughs> okay, so part of the project is a forest has been planted that will grow for 100 years. And for each one of those 100 years, a different author will be asked to contribute a manuscript to the future library in a sealed box. And Anything can be in that box as long as it's made of words. So it could be one word, it could be a poem, it could be a story, it could be a novel, it could be a piece of nonfiction. Will anyone open it to check to nobody, see if there's a single word in there? Nobody is allowed to open it until the hundred years is up. It's like Sleeping Beauty. Wow. So I'm going to put twine and sealing wax on mine. I, may, I, I yeah. envisage a moment at Norwegian customs in which they say, what's in the box? And I say, <laughs> I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> it could be difficult, but you, you can't tell anybody what's in the box, and you can't put any images in it. Interesting. So Why? Do you, did you that's just the rules. Okay. So as far <laughs> We're not really into that in the Bay Area. We like yes, to know Yes, well, it's part of Katie Patterson's project that okay. it's, the boxes will remain dormant for 100 years, and she's put a printing press in the room as well, just in case. When the hundred years is up, enough trees will be cut from the forest, which will have grown, right. to make the paper to print the hundred books. Have you written your book yet? I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> <laughs> not even here for I'm us? I'm not even allowed to say whether it's a book or not. Oh, oh. But I did get the archival paper. Uh-huh. Because right. you wouldn't want them to open the box and find a lot of little... Ashes. No, shreds. Yes, yeah. you wouldn't want that. No. You wouldn't want them to have happened to my paper, what has happened to my copy of South Pacific by James Michener, <laughs> which has gotten very crumbly. <laughs> so yes. when you look to the future, do you think like, what, what do you think the future of a four-year education is? 
You know how we were all like going into debt, going to college, and then we're going to graduate school. Like, I think we're going to keep doing. I that? think quite soon, somebody is going to invent a crowdsourced program for people with college debt, mm -hmm. and it will be. Shall it be like a lottery? Or shall it be like Queen for a Day, in which you pick the most deserving one with the most horrific story? Mm. But I'm sure that something like that has to spring up, because it's gotten too much, you know, mm -hmm. don't you think? Mm -hmm. That this, this idea that was somewhat worthy to begin with has gotten out of control, so that kids are graduating from school with this horrific debt, which no 23-year-old ought to have. Yeah. And they do you think there's a, there will be a lasting value in a four-year education? I think it's gotten to be one of those things that if you don't have it, you're handicapped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is it a plus value or is it a negative value if you lack it? Right, right, right. Is it's it more like, like necessary that? but not sufficient. Yes, which is kind of sad. Uh, but for certain things, of course, it has a value because those are the kinds of things where you actually learn how to, you know, you learn how to mm -hmm. do something. But you possibly are talking about the traditional liberal education. Mm -hmm. What you're supposed to come out of that knowing how to is how to think. Mm -hmm. How am I doing? Well, <laughs> I think you're doing pretty well. <laughs> anyway, is that what you did? I did. I did you a four-year, and then I did two years of grad school. And what was your quotes field? Uh, English literature. Can you narrow it down a little? Uh, Shakespeare. Oh, excellent. Mm -hmm. That's one of my other projects. Bring it. Bring it forth. Yes. What do you got? We got all, all night. Right. We got a, no, we don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so the, the Hogarth Press, which was, Woo! they like it too. Weekend. They like it too. They're very excited out there. Yeah. Mere mention of Shakespeare, you see what happens. I know it. Um, He's hot. So the Hogarth Press, which is Virginia Woolf's mm -hmm. old press, is doing a Shakespeare project in which they're asking writers of various kinds around the world to pick a play and revisit it in another form. Mm. So Joan Nesbo is doing Macbeth, just for instance. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing The Tempest. Mm. 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 Have you started that? I've, I've started thinking about it. <laughs> you need to go home. Like, you have too much to do no, to be no, here no, right no. now. <laughs> Don't you feel? Um, what do you think that, so, you know, you grew up in such a different world than the world that my kids are growing up in. And I wonder, what do you think the advantages are or the disadvantages are of, of being a kid of this time? Well, no. Um, there's a number of things we could talk about in that respect. One of them is, I hope you're not, how old are your children now? 11 and 13. Okay. So they're past the danger point. I hope you didn't let them watch a lot of television or do a lot of things on tablets when they were really quite young. Of course I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Who would? <laughs> Uh, do you know about nature deficit disorder? Have you been discussing no. that? No. Okay. Uh, there's quite a lot of chat about it. Is this like yet it. another thing to feel kind of bad about? Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, but you live in the Bay Area, so there's lots of nature all around you. Yeah. Isn't there? Yes. Yes. Um, so they've Don't done... Don't you feel like she's kind of interviewing me? <laughs> <laughs> or like she's my therapist a little bit. I don't know where this is going, but it's great. Uh, yeah, so they are talking a lot about the fact that children did not evolve uh, over time to be cooped up in little rooms. Mm -hmm. So they feel that depriving them of nature is actually making them quite depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, some people have even connected it to autism, and they've, they've done some studies in which they reconnect children with nature. They reconnect people with nature with marked effects. There's a Japanese one in which they took... Uh, grown-ups actually to the woods and they before they did it they recorded their blood pressure their heartbeat and their mm -hmm. white cell count and they had a control group that walked for the same amount of time in the city and a second group walked for a mm. couple of hours and the third group walked for 
the weekend, and then they measured all of those things again. The ones who walked in the city, no effect. The ones who walked for the weekend, the heart rate went down, the blood pressure went down, and the white cell count, that's your immune system, mm -hmm. doubled. Wow. So they also have these other studies that people recovering in hospital rooms, if they can even look out the window to a mm -hmm. natural scene, their recovery time is markedly shorter. So that it's something that we, that we need to reconnect uh, and particularly important for children. Okay, so let's just say before we move to chapter two that mm. our plan, Margaret and Kelly's plan for the education is to take everybody outside and teach well, they, them they're in starting, the uh, They're starting something called outdoor education in which children actually learn better when they're outside. Now this is not going to work. Wouldn't that in, be amazing? Would not work in every climate. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not where you grew up. No, not in the winter, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, chapter two. I want to talk about the future of women and work. Now, which women wear? Mm-hmm. It's a big world. It is a big world. So maybe so you're going to narrow that American down a bit. Women. American we say women. American, American um, and Canadian which, women. Which state American. of America? <laughs> Well, let me just say this. <laughs> let me just say this. I listened to you 15 years ago, probably, talk about being a literate woman growing up and this distinction you had between the twin sets and the black turtlenecks. Oh, this was in high school. Yeah, in yeah. university. In the, oh, long before you were born. Oh, uh, in the 50s. So in, in the 50s. Yeah. Okay. So at so, university in those days, there were these two kinds of female people. And one kind wore the twin set and the pearls, and the is other. Is anyone here in a twin set? I don't. You don't even know what a twin set is. Come on. Okay, a twin set. You had a a pullover, uh, uh, in a pastel color made of wool, and uh, over the top of it you had a cardigan in the same wool and the same color. And then you had your like giant and Jane Mansfield bra underneath it all. <laughs> right? Like get well, them out there. So, 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 I mean that's critical to the twin set, I think. I, was the other twin set. I think this is, a, this is you're mixing the trope. Yeah. That kind of person would not have the twin set. She would have the fluffy Angora pink sweater. You're right, you're right, you're right. Yes. I am I'm across, sorry, yeah, yes. Sorry. Yes, the twin set was for um, people who also had the cashmere coat with the tie belt. Mm -hmm. like and that. you were a black turtleneck girl. Well, there were about five of us. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it was a it was a time when when the arts were not very widely practiced. Uh, they might have been somewhere, but they were not at the University of Toronto in 1959. Mm -hmm. So those who did practice them did wear the black turtleneck, and the black leotards because pantyhose had not been invented yet, mm -hmm. nor could you wear pants to school. The pant set was yet to appear. It appeared towards the end of the 60s. Mm -hmm. And so do you think that ga those, those, you know, there's this sense that maybe we're all doing each other a disservice, all these categories of women, and that we're not... Um, we're making it more difficult for each other. Categories are very malleable. Mm -hmm. So you could, if you wished, uh, put on the formal gown to go to the formal uh, on one night, and the next day you'd be back in your black turtleneck. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just clothes, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's outfits and costumes. Yes, but it's an attitude, and it's a, a way of presenting yourself, and it's an identity. But everybody has a way of presenting themselves. And um, they mix and match. Mm -hmm. You can change it. You can change. You can, you can get different clothes. <laughs> I'm so psyched. <laughs> you could turn into a whole different person, and many have. Yeah. yeah. So here's That's why the, we love the Cinderella story so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, in terms of women, uh, you know, in 1914, 100 years ago, the average age of an American woman when I she got married. I remember it well, yes. <laughs> Does anyone know, anyone want to guess the average age of the American woman in 1914 when she got married? 14. Wow, 14? <laughs> <laughs> 21, okay. Yeah. 
and then today, the average age is, anybody, anybody? Oh my guys, this is like, you know, hey mom, guess what I got on my test? And the mom says, 99, and you say, no, 96. Like, anyway, uh, the average age now is 26. Did you say 26? Yeah. That's pretty uh, good. Good for you. Um, <laughs> this is Elizabeth. Hello, Elizabeth. <laughs> Um, what do you think that, what, what do you think the state, uh, she's dying, she's literally read every one of your books like backwards and forwards. Um, and then 64% of kids in the U.S. are born out of wedlock right now, 64%. Uh, so I wonder what you think the future of marriage is. Like it used to be this cornerstone thing and maybe it had these economic implications, but now is it becoming like less and less necessary? And a hundred years from now, like, what percentage of people will be married? That's absolutely impossible to tell. Oh, I know. They, yeah. I didn't. Um, I did not mean to suggest it was possible yeah. to tell. No. I'm just curious what your opinion is. Yeah. By which I mean that these things come into and out of vogue. So you think it they might come swing. into vogue and out of vogue? Yeah. And a lot of it. It used to have to do with economic considerations. Yeah. So if you were, if you didn't have an, an income of your own, and if you were unmarried in the 19th century, you had a very thin time of it. Mm -hmm. You really had a pretty horrible life. Yeah. Uh, so there was a real advantage to getting married, and there was, uh, if you could afford it as a man, there was also an advantage to being married then because it gave you a social position, mm -hmm. a position in society. Uh, so if you go back and read Edith Wharton, probably the best one to read is The House of Mirth. Uh, those women who were um, of, a, of a class, of a, of a certain class, but didn't have the economic backing. It didn't yeah. have the money. It was very, very hard on them. If you were working class, at least you knew what to expect, mm -hmm. you know. So it's that moment when it was actually hard for a person uh, of a certain class to have a job. Mm -hmm. Marriage was very desirable. So all of those jokes about setting your cap at a man, et cetera, et cetera, that went on. And the, and the mothers were trying to marry the daughters off because mm -hmm. they thought the daughters would be better off. And I wonder way. if that will come back into vogue on its own. Oh, even only if you do away with, with jobs for women. Mm -hmm. you know, only if you make it impossible for them to have reasonable jobs and support themselves. Why you're seeing this later marriage now is entirely due to the fact that, that um, women can have jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's not an absolute screaming necessity for, for them to be in a, uh, in a partnership in which one person is earning the money, yeah. namely the man. And presumably that will continue. We have no idea. We don't know that. You wonder um, if, because there's so many millennials that come from another country that were born elsewhere and come here, if they're also bringing with them their cultures and their ideas about marriage, and if that will somehow, over 100 years, influence the collective attitude about what, what marriage is and what it represents and what it's for. I think if past generations experiences any indication, it's the country that influences the incomers uh -huh. rather than the other way around. So first generation keeps the old ways. In fact, they keep the old ways more than the people in the country in the, of origin yeah. are doing. Right. And when they go back to it, they're considered old fashioned. So they, they more or less freeze in time. Yeah. Uh, then they want the second generation to be like them, which of course they aren't. And the third generation is really not very much like them at all. They're they're like their mm -hmm. peer group. Mm -hmm. So you've been a working woman all your life, and I wonder. Yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> See these hands and jump. <laughs> <laughs> Work to the bone. <laughs> Somebody get her some Ben Gay. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, what I, what I was thinking about is um, if when you decided to have children, if that felt like it a decision that had serious professional implications or if you just kind of rolled into it. I saved up for it. You did? Yes. Say more. Well, I, you know, it's called the bank. 
you know. And so you you had it. It was like you you knew you wanted to do it, and then you put some. You needed some a pile of money before you felt comfortable. Not a big pile, but yeah, enough. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that I didn't have a father of my child, but he was not rich. Mm -hmm. We were living at that point on a in a firm, on mm -hmm. a firm, mm -hmm. on a firm. Did you worry that once you had children, it would totally deplete you, and you would it would be difficult for you to do this thing that you're so uh, meant no, to do? No, I didn't worry about it beforehand, but I had two years of not having a brain. Uh huh. But you just expect that. Yeah, yeah. It no comes question. back. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mine. That's did. encouraging. <laughs> But my hair fell out. I mean, quite a lot of it fell out. And I said to my mother, my hair is falling out. She says, oh, yes, I was practically bald. Was, nobody tells you that. It's a, apparently a copper imbalance. You know what nobody told me? This is just a side thing. This is not for the cameras. But uh, nobody that, told That's what you think. <laughs> nobody told me that, um, like, that when milk comes out, it doesn't just come out the middle. It's like a shower head. <laughs> Well, they didn't. Uh, I just did not know that. Well, I'm, sh I'm sure that if you had asked, they would have told you. Yeah. And if you had said to somebody, does it just come out the middle or is it like a shower head, they would have told you. <laughs> I wish I had known Sometimes you Sometimes it's just not, you just don't know which questions to ask. You know? right. <laughs> Will my hair fall out? You know, I just never right. thought you to ask, to ask that. Exactly. Um, what's that? Uh, so what did you I say? <laughs> oh, come on, let's hear it. My work. Oh, well, you know, dear, the two are connected. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're gonna, are we going to talk about my work? You know, I think we're getting around to how it is to be a guy. I think that's going to be a topic. You want to know yeah. about the future. That is a coming topic. And uh, how do I know this? Because there's this quite amazing thing on, in do you know what Indiegogo is? Barely. No? <laughs> These guys know. They know. Okay, there's an Indiegogo right now called A Better Man. And it's, do you know who Sarah Pauly is? Mm -hmm. Okay, Sarah Pauly, she's the director and actress. Um, and she's one of the people supporting this. So A Better Man is a documentary that they're raising the money for in Indiegogo. In fact, they raised it. They raised it in about seven days. Mm -hmm. um, a woman who was living at the age of 18 with her boyfriend, her first boyfriend, who beat her up all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, a cherubic-looking young man. He looks very angelic, sort of nice-looking blonde young man. Uh, and she ran away from him and was rescued by two guys in a truck. I like those stories. Mm -hmm. It's a Canadian story. Mm -hmm. It probably wouldn't happen here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I would have stopped for anyone, eh? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you hear that? We had a story on the news, which <laughs> some Canadians. Yeah. Uh, they, two guys in a truck uh, heard a woman screaming, and there was a man trying to cut her head off with a hacksaw. Oh so they God. jumped out of the truck, and they gave chase, and and the man ran away and threw the hacksaw behind him, and they interviewed them on radio, and they said, well, we would have done that for anybody, eh? You yeah. know, you hear that? You, of course you get out of your truck. Yeah. So I like those stories. Yeah, um, for sure. So they're positive moments for men, not the guy with the hacksaw, yeah. but the other yeah. two guys. <laughs> the other two guys. Uh, so a better man, she then runs into him on the street 20 years later, and he agrees to be interviewed on the documentary. In which he's going to say, "What were you thinking? You know, what was going through your head? Why were you doing that?" And it is going to be pretty fascinating. And she said, "I think we need to know what men are thinking. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a moment of knowing what men are thinking. Mm -hmm. And we do know about the men's right mo rights movement, which can mm -hmm. be s somewhat extreme." Are you in the um, men's right? Of course yeah. not. Does he look like somebody? Of <laughs> course not. <laughs> nice looking young man like that? Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so they're starting a men's center in Toronto, not a men's right type of thing, but yeah. just to discuss um, important issues. Yeah. Uh, Something got lost, for instance, when everybody started laughing at the Boy Scouts. Mm. Don't you think? Mm. So, no, he doesn't think so. 
Okay, so. <laughs> okay, we won't talk about the gay troop leaders. <laughs> All right, that was a problem. Yes, yeah. but this is the sort of thing that, you know, open discussion mm -hmm. without everybody yelling all the time. You're listening to Exactly on KQED Public Radio. We'll be back after a break. This program was recorded live at the San Francisco offices of Medium, the place to share stories and ideas that matter most to you. If you're enjoying this conversation, check out my podcast with musician Matt Nathanson. I want to be that person that writes so many songs that we have this like unbelievable amount to choose from and be like, that one's real good or that one's, and it's like, it just isn't that way. I, my assassin is stronger than my creative self. That's Matt Nathanson on our podcast at kqed.org slash exactly or on iTunes. Welcome back to Exactly. I'm Kelly Corrigan talking with iconic writer Margaret Atwood. In The Handmaid's Tale, speaking of your work, um, there's this setup, and I wonder if you think which is the greater freedom, the freedom to or the freedom from? <laughs> it's always a push and pull between the two, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, so on the one hand, you hear people of my generation and even somewhat younger saying, we were allowed just to run all over the place when we were kids. We didn't have to be, we had to be in when the sun went down. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the time, nobody worried what we were doing. And mm -hmm. admittedly, we did some quite dangerous things. Um, we were told never to run through the storm sewer. And of course, we went down and ran through it immediately the first mm -hmm. chance we got. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, but now kids are very much cooped up because their parents are so afraid Mm -hmm. of letting them run around like that, mm -hmm. uh, that they don't get to test their boundaries at all. Mm -hmm. And they're probably feeling pretty, you know, narrow and mm -hmm. blinkered. They never get to really go it's out and encounter the world. a very dangerous way to send your kid to college. Well, they don't know, they don't know what's surrounding yeah. them. Yeah. So that is freedom from... Mm -hmm. Freedom, too, is, uh, is associated with another set of risks. You know, mm -hmm. try everything out, and one of those things may be, uh, <laughs> do what, do you follow the Darwin Awards? Yes. <laughs> All right, well, they're pretty sad, and you shouldn't laugh, but... Uh, <laughs> I feel really set up there. Do you not feel set up? Yes, I'm, and I shouldn't laugh yeah. either, but... It, um, so somebody did jump off a, a bridge with a bungee cord that was too long, oh. you know. So that's that's freedom too, <laughs> but <laughs> but some of those things will kill you. Yeah. So in terms of your work, um, do you often feel like people are putting things on it that you'd rather they not? Like you're often held out as a feminist writer, and I don't think you feel that way at all. No, I, I, it's not that either. I, I just like people to define their terms. Mm -hmm. And then we can talk about whether I am this or that or the other thing, but I'd like to know what that word means, because it has become a word with very many interpretations. Mm -hmm. So it can mean push all men off a cliff, it mm -hmm. can mean um, equal rights, equal pay. Yeah. It could mean equal rights, equal pay. It could mean, once upon a time, it meant you shouldn't wear lipstick, you slut. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Forgive me. No, that's what it meant then. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean that anymore. Yeah. So it changes around a lot. So I, I would like to know, um, that the person who's asking me, I would like them to define what they mean by that, mm -hmm. and then we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. If there were way more women in the workforce over the course of the next hundred years, what would, what would the impact be? Can you imagine? Probably better daycare. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and family care in general. Yes, better health plans, mm -hmm. for sure. And um, What would be much worse? Because I, people are so fond of saying if women ran the world, there would be no war. Do you think? Jury's out. They never have. Yeah. And they probably never will. Really? Sorry. Mm. Uh, <laughs> doubt ever, it. Ever a female American president? 
Oh yeah, that's very possible. Is that coming possibly in 2016? Uh, very possibly, but you know, it's no. There's a very good book by Antonia Fraser about women leaders, mm -hmm. and all the way from Queen Elizabeth up to to Margaret Thatcher. And yes, there have been women leaders, but they've been surrounded by men. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And there is a picture of Margaret Thatcher in her silver evening gown, and every single one of her cabinet ministers is a man. Isn't that uh, interesting? So if you're a woman leader in in a power structure that's still basically male, mm -hmm. um, usually what happens is that you have to show that you're a better man than they are, mm -hmm. and you're quite frequently tougher and meaner. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. If so you're in a in a group of women, um, that can play out somewhat differently, but it's it's probably not in the foreseeable future not going to be so that women mm -hmm. form the power structure mm -hmm. and men aren't part of it. I, that's very unlikely to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is a short story by John Wyndham called Consider Her Ways, in which we find ourselves in a future in which all of the men have been killed by a disease that kills only men. And uh, the women are cloning themselves, and of course they, they only have girl babies in that case, but they've divided in, into castes like ant nests. So mm -hmm. some of them are these enormous mothers that have eight babies at a time. Another caste are the nurses that run around tending to the mothers. Uh, another caste are the Amazonian builders and farmers. Mm -hmm. And then there's, um, and then, then there's, a, it being England, of course, there's a sort of Oxford-like intellectual elite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but our heroine, who's gotten into the future by mistake, uh, says that she doesn't think she wants to stay there, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's tidier. Mm -hmm. Even though it's a bit tidier. <laughs> there aren't any socks lying around. And my, my theory about socks lying around, in case you would like to hear it, mm -hmm. is that... <laughs> I'd love that, to, especially in front of my husband. I hope it well, may change. Well, here's this. the truth. You cannot blame him because he evolved as a hunter and he only sees things that move. <laughs> <laughs> Look at yeah. him. He's so happy. <laughs> yes. So if these socks are moving, uh, he'll probably see them, but then you'll have another problem if the socks are moving. Whereas you, Having the uh, eyes of a gatherer, you see those socks. Mm -hmm. They look like mushrooms, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Only when I've eaten mushrooms. Yeah, so you pick them up and you put them in the basket, don't you? Uh -huh. It's called mm -hmm. the laundry hamper, but there's no point blaming him because he just doesn't see them. Maybe Not he just moving. changed the whole trajectory of my marriage and many yeah. marriages in this room. Okay, so chapter three is about the future of the arts. The real answer is... yes. Don't let him have any socks in the first place. <laughs> I could do that in the Bay Area, too. Yeah. You could live without yeah. socks around here. Man, man, the hunter never had socks. Right. Why Tough should he have up. any? Yo. Um, <laughs> so chapter three is about the future of the arts. You're loving this. Uh, and what I wanted to think about is where you started um, and what your sort of self-publishing experience was and then how simple it has gotten to publish something and share something and what are the implications of that? Okay, that's quite a complex question. Um, so what you're thinking about is the fact that I published my first book um, by printing it on a flatbed press and hand-setting the type. It was quite a short book. Uh, <laughs> it was rendered even shorter by the fact that we had a shortage of A's. So it was these poems. <laughs> we would set one poem, we would run it through the flatbed press, and then we'd have to disassemble the lead type and put it back in its little drawers. Each letter and had a imagine. little drawer. And then you set them backwards, of course, and put in the spacers. And so we would do each poem um, and then do the next one. And I made the cover out of a lino block. And a lino block is a piece of wood with linoleum glued onto the top, and then you gouge out all the parts that you don't want to Did you ever print. do that in class? Yeah. yeah, we used to do it in like third grade. Yes, well, this wasn't the third grade. <laughs> so I made the cover that way, and books were about that big, and we sold them for 50 cents, and I wish I'd kept a lot more of them, I can tell you that. Do you have one? I have one. Oh. Um, Put that in the box. 
No. No. <laughs> Never. Um, so, so, so that was even before there was, well, there weren't any computers um, freely available. There were, but they were, you know, they took up rooms. Yeah. So now people can, of course, design their own books, um, do them as e-books if they want to, get them printed. There's a very good self-publishing place called Friesen's. Mm -hmm. uh, you probably know about Lulu, but this is sort of Lulu plus E plus plus, and mm -hmm. they will do the distributing for you too. Mm -hmm. So people can do this. The problem is, of course, that there are now this many people mm -hmm. publishing books, but there are only this many people reading those books. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas there used to be this many people writing the books and this many people reading the books. Mm -hmm. And I think that has crazy implications, and I don't see it stopping. But I mean, one of the implications is that we don't necessarily have a shared language the way we used to. Because when there were fewer books, you could count on more people having read whatever this book was. You know, like the way we can now count on everybody pretty much having read Great Gatsby. But that list is very short because there's just too many books floating around the world. And so what you lose there is this common language that you can refer to themes and ideas and characters. Well, to put things in context, mm -hmm. once upon a time, only this many pe people went to university and read that common list of books mm -hmm. which you speak. Mm -hmm. Now there's this many people going to colleges and universities. So in fact, the literacy rate has gone up. Mm -hmm. It's true that these uh, that the common list, which was indeed much more common in the 19th century, you, you begin to see that diversification towards the end of the 19th century. Um, so that diversification has galloped on a pace, and the thing you can co compare it with is what happened to television. Mm -hmm. There used to be just a couple of networks, so everybody would be seeing the same shows mm -hmm. and would be able to talk about what happened on Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. And is so that, is that to our great detriment? What do you lose when you lose that? I, I, I think you get um, sort of self-identifying self groups of people that are often quite hostile to one another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you've seen this happening in the United States over the past some years. Um, and, and even to the extent that people will self-identify as members of a group that used to be considered pretty, um, pretty low grade, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Now I am a proud redneck. You know, you can get the T-shirt, the hat, and Duck Dynasty. Uh, yes, like that, exactly mm -hmm. like that. So mm -hmm. there, there is something for everyone, but maybe some of those things have to start getting back to to some sort of common ground, and people are going to have to deal with the fact that if they keep fragmenting this way, America is going to lose a lot of helium out of its balloon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to become so fragmented that it no longer has any uh, feeling of common purpose. It, it considers the other people within the country not as its fellow citizens, but as enemies. You already mm -hmm. see quite a lot of that. Uh, it's, it's quite discouraging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's anything? called, I suppose, culture wars, but people talk as if there are just two cultures that are at war. There are, there are actually quite a few more right, than that. Right. Do you see anything encouraging on that front that, that would bring us back to, you know, because the problem is that you can, um, there's no discoverability anymore. You don't bump into things. You can tell, you can set your homepage to sort of self-select based on your interests. It's true. And then, so you never you, bump you into need an, not an unfamiliar You need idea. not encounter other people's points of view. Yeah. Uh, I think that maybe it will be so that people will start uh, reconnecting in a more personal way. Hmm. I don't, I'm not entirely sure how that will come about. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think something like that is probably going to, you, you can't just keep dispersing like this. Um, there has to be a pull back towards some kind of common ground. I so hope you're right. Um, chapter four is uh, the future of aging. So Stone Why Mattress. Why are you asking me that? <laughs> Stone Mattress is so great. And it's a little bit about you know when you become one of the dusties and when you're stuck inside your, quote, rusting, creaking, vengeful, brute machinery. 
Um, so the life expectancy in 1914 was, for women in the US, anyone? 51. <laughs> and now it's 82. And the child that was born this morning has a 35, 40% chance of living to be 100. Um, so I heard recently that it's going Oh, good. I hope. Down again. <laughs> you hope? I do. I don't want to no. live to 100. Do you? No. Well, it depends what shape you're in. Yeah. I mean, I guess my assumption is that you can't live to 100 and be in pretty decent But age. you can. Yeah. But what I if just, we all did? Somebody in this very room just, just tonight said that their mother was 100 and she's doing fine. Who is it? Speak now. There oh. he is, right there. Right on. Um, <laughs> So you know how America sometimes uh, suggested that we don't deal with death well and that we have a hard time looking at it squarely? That's and changing. About it. That's really changing. How so? Say more. Um, I think that there is, um, first of all, the whole dying with dignity thing, mm -hmm. which was very marginal about 10, 15 years ago, has become a lot more central. Mm -hmm. uh, people are, I think it says the baby boomers hit that moment. Uh, they start thinking about what sort of um, customized, mm -hmm. special for them, death they will have. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want it just to be any old death. They want it to be, you know, yeah. special. Yeah, you just fill out so, a form on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> right. do, 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 do. Well, you'll laugh, possibly. Uh, and it, it was a very sweet thought, and I do appreciate it. I got somebody for my birthday offering to make me a, a nice organic shroud <laughs> <laughs> for my natural burial. And I said, well, I thought that was just lovely and, and I will put that in my will, but if, if it should arrive at the house now, it might alarm the family. <laughs> if you go online, you can that see these incredible. very nice, well, they do look very cozy. <laughs> uh, you put organic shrouds and uh, people are handcrafting these even as we speak. So this is already a thing. Uh -huh. And the, the natural burial, people are now turning away from the energy consumptive, uh, get yourself burned up cremation mm -hmm, thing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and back towards uh, plant yourself in the ground mm -hmm. with a nice tree on top. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's happening. And you will see that roll out even more in the future. In fact, I'm talking to people who are involved in this, and what they're saying is uh, there's a lot of industrial land that is actually quite hard to clean up mm -hmm. enough to put a dwelling place on it. But you could, uh, you could improve the soil, how shall we put this? Uh, you could regenerate the land quite a bit by turning it into a natural burial site. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, after a while. Yeah. <laughs> you, you are feeling a bit giddy tonight, aren't you? <laughs> it's typical. <laughs> Is there anything you've imagined in any of your books around aging that has come to pass? Around aging? I don't know. There's quite a few other things I've imagined that have come to pass. Tell us. Uh, well, that's more in the bioengineering area of Great. things. Yeah. yeah. Hit it. So some of those things. Uh, well, a lot of the things that I've, I've proposed in, in Norix and Craig that, that were just theoretical then, they've now done. Yeah. So they've got the transgenic pig. They've, they're uh, now now dis discussing the bioethics of having your own organ grown in one, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They've put thanks a lot. They've put uh, human brain tissue into mice. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise, they're four times smarter, just what we needed, smarter, <laughs> <laughs> smarter mice. <laughs> oh, goody. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> just, a, just a sec, folks. Uh, so they can now do all of these things, and I was just reading today in, could it have been Scientific American probably, that they have a new technique that allows you to really customize uh, you're slicing and dicing and implanting and, re and recombining of genetic material. So it, it's, it is going to be a bit like Oryx and Craig in which the high school kids are doing this in their, in their science lab. Mm -hmm. uh, so like that, yeah. that, that those changes the, the are exponentially growing.
-hmm. It's quite amazing what has happened just in five, ten years. What's, what have you imagined that hasn't happened yet that you're just dead sure is going to come to pass? <laughs> I'm never dead sure about anything. Really? No, because you cannot really predict the future. Yeah. There's too many variables. Yeah. Uh, however, but you love speculating about it. I love speculating. It's very interesting. Some of the speculations are pretty negative. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you actually don't Are you want skewing more negative over time or less negative? Oh, I'm always very perky in the mornings. <laughs> 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 but it's, it's not morning <laughs> right, yeah. right now. Um, <laughs> what you don't want to have happen is you, you do not want the oceans to die. Well, so that takes yeah. us to Chapter 5, which is what is the future of the planet? Well because I'm always very perky in the mornings. In the mornings, I think that we're making great strides towards mm -hmm. understanding the problems, inventing uh, technology to deal with the problems, rearranging our thinking so that we will um, be much more realistic about this than we have been in the past. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff was, was known years and years and years ago. Mm -hmm. The Club of Rome did a report in 1972 that said if you don't this, 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 and this, and this, then in 50 years that, and that is in fact what happened. Mm -hmm. um, optimistic thing, mm -hmm. we stopped destroying the ozone layer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's, yeah. Ha let's, have a, let's have something yes, for that. Yes, hooray for that. Yeah. Uh, bad thing would be if, if the oceans die, then the marine algae that makes our oxygen will die too. Mm -hmm. Those very same organisms that created the oxygen 1.9 billion years ago mm -hmm. wasn't always here. Mm -hmm. It was made by plants. Guess what they did? Hit it. You know. No, he doesn't. <laughs> oh, he's all quiet now, is he? <laughs> okay, they just split H2O into H and O. Uh huh. You knew that. I thought you were asking what they did with the ocean to ruin the planet. No. Oh, no. You see, he repositioned yeah, the question. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not buying it. <laughs> okay, so that is the, that's the biggie. We really have to avoid doing that. And do you see us avoiding doing that? Like, what do you see that gives you hope? Who's working on the problem? How are they going to solve it? Well, what should we be doing? Should, who should you give your money to? Maybe. Uh, maybe what should we do to our houses? Oceana is a very good organization mm -hmm. that works in oceans. Um, there's a lot of marine biologists, of course, hard at work on this problem. Mm -hmm. It doesn't help that uh, we've hoovered up 90% of the fish stock since. 1950, mm -hmm. um, but it does help that China just banned shark's fin soup. Mm -hmm. So everything Nothing. is connected. Yeah, the sharks are the alpha predators. They eat the rays. Uh, if you kill all the sharks, there's an explosion of rays, and they eat all the other fish. Mm -hmm. And if you kill all the sea turtles that eat jellyfish, there's an explosion of jellyfish, and jellyfish eat fish eggs. It's Man, like you that. know a lot about a lot of things. Yeah, I know. So right? It happens when you, as you age, <laughs> part of the aging process. <laughs> you get um, to know a lot of things. So you, in, in Oryx and Crake, you imagine these genetically engineered people who didn't need clothes. And we can do that now. We can? Yes. Will we? Um, probably not quite that way. Uh-huh. But uh, certainly... Tell these guys about the people you imagine. Oh, the people I imagine. The people I imagine were designed by their creator to avoid getting into the kinds of problems that Homo sapiens sapiens gets into uh, because of our, our desires and fears mm -hmm. and needs. So first of all, they don't need clothing. They've got built-in sunblock and built-in insect repellent. <laughs> I think those would be good. Yeah. Uh, so they never will have to have, um, they'll never have to grow cotton, they'll never have to herd sheep, they'll never have to make synthetics, they will not have to make cloth, they won't have any fashion industry, and they don't have to worry about shoes, because they've got an extra layer on the bottoms of their feet. Mm -hmm. So that's that dealt with. They're, they're not only vegetarian, they can eat leaves and grass, so they don't have to have farming. Mm -hmm. They are not aggressive. 
they, um, unlike us, they mate seasonally like other mammals. So they're either in heat or not in heat. And they're How just blue, right? convenient that would be. And yes. like a lot of other life forms, they have clear signals as to when they are in mating mode. So there's no any, there's not any confusion. Yeah. You never get turned down for a date. Yeah. You're not going to suffer from sexual jealousy. Right. And um, they don't have to worry about inheritance because they don't have anything to inherit. So paternity is not an issue. And anyway, they made in groups like cats. Uh, Would you like to live in a world like that? Well, I personally, no, but, but I would not be, I'm not one of them. It's, mm -hmm. They're very happy with it. Mm -hmm. you, you probably wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. They will never write any Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. They'll never write Romeo They'll never and Juliet. Love, right? they don't oh, love. no, they love perfectly well. They don't uh, have romantic angst. If that's what one means by Taylor Swift says love. you can't have one without the other. Well, that's that's Homo sapiens sapiens as we know it today, but they're a different species. Yes, and she's a particular species of the species. <laughs> okay. um, so, uh, we end every interview with something we call the afterword. It's seven questions that we ask every guest. The first is, what song have you listened to more than any other? That's a long period of time for me to think back over. <laughs> Maybe a better question would be, what songs can you remember? <laughs> <laughs> so I do have quite a good collection of singing commercials from the 1940s and 50s. Can you give us one? Ajax, the foaming cleanser, wash the dirt right down the drain. <laughs> If you had a year to get really good at something, what would you try? At my age? Mm. Or just pretend? No, right now. You're, right now. Yeah. What would I be really, what could I try without killing myself? <laughs> what would I get really good at? Let's say tangoing. Awesome. I think awesome. I could do that. It's kind of stiff. You know, yeah. Like <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> <laughs> Who do people say you look just like? Barbara Streisand. They used to say Barbara Streisand. Yeah, yes, yeah. A bit. Um, if your mother wrote a book about you, what would it be called? My Good Cake Decorator. Oh. <laughs> she wasn't very interested in the writing, but she loved the cake decorator. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, what would you like to see fixed in your lifetime? You mean... A world problem that I would like to see fixed. You can answer it any way you want. You can fix so anything you want. The car, that's not. Oh, it's not well, part of this li list. It's a little pedestrian. Yes, it um. is taking a lifetime, but never mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what would I like to see fixed? So we have quite a lot. Well, I think I'd probably, I was going to say huge wage discrepancies. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, if we don't fix the planet, the huge wage discrepancies are not going to matter. So I'm going to have to go for the environmental. Mm -hmm. If everyone on Earth could kill one person without repercussion, mm -hmm. would you be killed by whom and why? Probably not anymore, because most of the people who really wanted to kill me are dead. <laughs> <laughs> question is, if you could say four words to anyone, whom would you address and what would you say? Okay, I would address the Canadian Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, and I would say, clean up Canada's act. Nice. I think we can get that in front of that guy, don't we? <laughs> Margaret Atwood, you are so fabulous and delightful, and we could talk to you all night, but thank you so, That's so, so much. Thank you. My Exactly Moment with Margaret Atwood, I mean, there were many, but one that really stuck with me because it was so totally unexpected was when she said that she's an optimist in the morning, but by nightfall, she's a pessimist. And then the next morning, she goes back to her optimism. 
It just made me feel like that any single day can and actually always does hold so many feelings, positive and negative. It just kind of set me free. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. She's definitely one of a kind, right? Looking forward to our next check-in. Until then, let's be in touch. This is Exactly, produced by KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. This interview was recorded live at Medium, the place to share stories and ideas that matter most to you. If you enjoyed this conversation, check out the singular point of view I discovered in my last question to comedic giant John Cleese. If you could say four words to anyone, whom would you address and what would you say? I would say to the Queen of England, Mm. stop polishing that antelope. You can hear more from John Cleese and others on our podcast at kqed.org slash exactly or in iTunes. Thanks so much to our team producers, Kat Snow and Anna Adlerstein, coordinating producer, Melissa Williams, engineer, Jim Bennett, production manager, Jennifer Harrison, and executive producer, Michael Issop. I'm Kelly Corrigan. Thank you so much for listening and please be in touch. 